It's something that it would help us to focus upon the fact that so often we don't experience the Christian life the way God intended us to experience it. That so often instead of uh, uh, coming to God and it feeling like an oasis, a place of refuge, it feels more like a place of, of, of pain, of difficulty. And we began to understand that there's this real tie-in between our emotional health and our spiritual growth as well. And so we began to explore a lot of different options there along the way. If you haven't been here, you can go back and listen to some of the messages on our podcast. Go to our website and do that. And uh, But uh, the, the whole thing today as we wrap this up is to say this. There's, been a, there's a lot of uh, forces in our culture that are ripping families apart, that are ripping churches apart, uh, that are pulling us away from a, a devoted focus upon our relationship with God. The temptation so often... In our world, and this is not a neutral thing because Satan is trying to pull us away and keep us so busy that we never focus on our relationship with God. The temptation so often in the American church is to have a lot of knowledge. And so we have uh, this this faith that's kind of like a mile wide, but it's maybe only an inch deep. Because the depth of our relationship is that knowledge doesn't always relate to application in our lives. And so we want to talk today as we conclude this series about uh, pulling some things together we've talked about already over the last several weeks, uh, but also some things that we need to do in our life to build into our life uh, some kind of a structure to allow us to uh, do God's will and to be connected with God on a regular basis. Because left to our own devices, without some kind of a structure in our life, what happens is, is our tendency is to, is to do our own will, uh, not God's will. Uh, we just get busy. We might have good intentions. But we get busy and don't really focus upon God. And because of that, so often uh, our fears cause us to be possessive. And instead of in our prayer life seeking God's will, we pray prayers like, God, do my will. Now, we don't say that, but that's kind of what we do so often in our prayer life. And so uh, this morning I want to talk about that. You know, there was a, there's an author, his name is Oz Guinness, who's written a lot of books about culture in the church. And he said that today we have something in our world today, probably the most uh, powerful global culture that we've ever seen. And, and the reason we have this global culture, it's not just local or just regional, is because of this combination of capitalism, technology, and, and modern communications. They've created this global culture for the first time. You can go almost anywhere in the world. Now, I don't travel all over the world. Some of you guys do. Some of you ladies do uh, with your jobs. But uh, you go almost anywhere in the world, and for the first time in history, you can hear the same kinds of music being played in almost every cultural setting. Uh, they still have their cultural music, but they have, you know, rock music is everywhere now, you know. And, and, and so we have this kind of different culture, this global culture. The sad thing about this global culture, though, is that the core values of this global cu- culture are not the values that we would find so often in Scripture. Uh, the, the values that Oz Guinness talks about, he says that we see... Uh, the, the core values of the global culture, number one, is information. It's about knowing things. We have this Internet culture now, and it's always, I mean, it's the cool thing about the Internet. I mean, right here, this morning, I was showing somebody my iPad out in the lobby, and I was talking about, yeah, I can carry this anywhere and connect to the Internet. I can have information at my fingertips about almost anything. As a matter of fact, every week when I prepare messages, not only do I study Scripture and I read books and other things like that, which most of my books now are actually on my iPad, uh, but I can also connect and do Google, Google searches on almost anything, find information about anything. We live in this, this, uh, this age where uh, we have this core value of information. If that was enough, it's, it's one thing, but the, also the core values of this global culture is convenience, having options, uh, time maximization, comfort, making sure things feel good, happiness, independence, 
entertainment, instant gratification. And along with that comes some things called like skepticism, uh, image control, all those types of things. And this modern culture we live in, as Guinness says, is inherently narcissistic. It's about me. It's about focusing on me. No longer do we have, uh, in, in our advanced world, a shift has gone from community to individualism. It's gone from, from authority to preference. What's my preferences? Not what's, is there any authority in life? It, and it's gone in the Christian world or in the religious world from the exclusive claims of Christ into kind of like, okay, let's just combine everything into one big conglomerate type of religion and focus upon that. Now, in the United States, we're numerically strong in the Christian church. We have a lot of people who claim to be Christians in America. And we have a lot of people who go to church in America. Still one of the largest numbers of people percentage-wise of any country in the world. Still. That's declining, though. But even in spite of that, there's some seriously distorted problems or serious problems with the American church. Because if we look at the behavior versus church going, there's some real problems. I shared with this last, shared with this with you last week, is that there's this meltdown of true Christian behavior. The result is there's virtually no distinction, distinction between people who attend church and people who do not attend church in regards to things like divorce, um, in, in regard to things like sexuality, handling of materialism, and the issues of racism. We have all these things going on, but there's not a real difference in our lives so often. What's the problem? What's the issue? And we've seen this same thing happen in history throughout the church. And how would we handle that? Well, the thing that they've always gone back to, the thing that we need to go back to is this. We need to have some anchors in our life that are strong enough to get us to slow down and refocus upon God. Because in our culture we live in now, it's pushing us to be more and more and more just busy, busy, busy all the time. Do it all. Try it all. Be all things. Please all people. And it's impossible to do. Now, during this series, we've talked about a couple of things that will help us to do that. We've talked about a thing called the daily office. About the offices meaning just a, a time with God. That not only do we spend time just once a day with God, and, you know, we teach that in the church as a, a quiet time. But there's times of day where we probably need to just spend a time, a short period of time with God to remind ourselves that, that uh, who, who is in charge and to refocus our attention in midday, in the evening. In the early church and even churches throughout history, Christians throughout history, have, have had this daily office, this daily time with God that, that's little pieces throughout the day. Another thing we talked about is the whole thing of Sabbath. The God does not just say, hey, this is just a good thing to do. He commands us for our own sakes to be involved in a Sabbath, a 24-hour period of the day where what we do is we focus upon on re, re, being re-energized in our relationship with God and with people around us and being refreshed and renewed. God built that into our, our rhythm, our patterns of life, that we would do that so that we can focus upon God and our life would be different. We'd have some time for reflection. Now, today I want to talk about a third and, and not final, but just a third thing, a third thing that we need to really do if we're going to have, and these other things are incorporated in that, uh, that if we're going to live life 
If we're going to have a structure to guard our hearts, to stay in God's presence, to pay attention to God, we need to have something that the early church called, and it's been called throughout church history, a rule of life. You're going like, a rule of life? What does that mean? A rule. You need to have rules in your life, some kind of structure that will help you. Literally, in, in, in a real sense, uh, all of us have some kind of plan for developing our spiritual lives. You know that? You maybe haven't sat down and thought about that. You have a plan for developing your spiritual life. For some of you, it's a default plan. Whatever it happens to fall on, if you don't have a plan, it's whatever you happen to do. You know, go to church on Sunday. Or maybe I'll get up in the morning and do a quiet time. Or maybe, I, you know, if I have time and I see my Bible laying on my table, you know, that's our spiritual plan of development. But God wants us to understand that we need to have a more structured plan in our life because all of us will default to our lower selves if we allow ourselves not to have a plan in our life. And this rule of life, the word rule, is actually a Greek word that originally meant trellis. Trellis, this is what this is. I don't know if you know what this is. You're going like, what in the world is that up there on this stage? That's a trellis. You know what a trellis is? The original trellis was something that was a, a something to give structure. Uh, it was a trellis was a tool that helped the grapevine become more fruitful, more rich, more full. Because if you let the grapes fall on the ground, they won't grow too well. I remember my first uh, gardening experience many, many years ago. In Virginia, my parents always had a garden growing up, and I decided when we got married, we we're going to have a garden. Uh, and, and, and I decided, you know, one of the things we needed was some tomato plants. I love tomatoes, fresh tomatoes. Nothing better than that in the spring. I'm looking forward to tomatoes, you know. I don't grow gardens anymore, so if you have tomatoes, you can feel free to pass them along to me, okay? But the issue is, is, you know, tomatoes. And so my first thing is I went out and bought like 10 tomato plants. Wow. And I just you know, put them in the ground, they're little plants, put them in the ground, put some miracle grow on them, let them grow. Well, they grew all over the place. They had the greatest vines in the world. They were all over the ground, you know, and tomatoes. And the problem was because they were all over the ground, I couldn't find find out where the tomatoes were. And half of my tomatoes, guess what they do when they lay on the ground? What do they do? They rot. A while later, somebody wiser than me said, hey, maybe you want to put them into a type of a, it wasn't just called a trellis, it was one of those tomato round things, you know, you put them in, I don't know what you call them, baskets, whatever. And they're wire, and you put them up, and as they grow, you pull them through it, and you let them grow up through that, so they were all off the ground. Guess what, when that happened, that kind of trellis, that support system, what it did is it allowed the tomatoes to, to, to flourish. And I could pick them almost all. A matter of fact, I had so many, I learned I only needed like four tomato plants instead of ten. <laughs> Because I got a lot more fruit off just those four. But the issue is, is we need some kind of a structure in life. And this word rule of life is not a dirty word. The word rule, you know, sometimes we don't like rules. But we need some kind of a structure in our life. A, a rule of life is a trellis. It's a structure that holds and supports and sustains us in our life. It helps us to connect with God. And, you know, Jesus said in, in John 15, he says, we are the branches and Jesus is the vine. And the thing is, is we need to stay connected to the vine. And we're the branches. We need something, a, a way to stay connected to the vine. We need some kind of rule of life, some kind of structure so that we can abide in Christ and bear much fruits, what Scripture says. But when, because when we have no rule of life, when we have no structure in our life, as our Christian life, what we do is we have no accountability, no community. And so we need to develop some kind of a process to do that. Now, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the early church. We're always talking about, man, it would be great to be a part of the early church at Acts. 
What a credible church when we read about it. But you know, the early church had a rule of life. They had a structure. They had a trellis. They had some kind of way to... Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I didn't put, I'm not putting it up on the screen for you today. So you got to... If you have a Bible, you need to... I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles every week, okay? To open them up. To look at them. To read them. Okay? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 31 uh, is the story. The Holy Spirit has already come to the early church. It's talking about in the early part of chapter 2, but in verse in verse 42, it describes this early church. This is the part we get all excited about. When we read this, we're going like, it would be so cool to be a part of this group. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I'm going like, man, this, this is what the church is all about. Let me read this, and then we'll go back and talk about it, how this, this, this rule of life, this, this structure they had, how it worked in their lives. It says this in verse 42, chapter 2 of Acts. They devoted themselves, this is the early church, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is the cool part. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, not just every once in a while, but daily God added to their number those who were being saved. I'll come back to verse chapter 3, verse 1 in just a few moments. But there's four things, if you'll notice something, very the very first verse that talks about their trellis, their structure, the things that were important to them. And one of the first words it mentions there is this. It says they were devoted. You know what the word devoted means? It means focused upon. It means it was important above all else. What you're devoted to is what you do. Not what you say you do, but what you do. If I was to ask you, what are you devoted to in your life on a daily basis? What would you say? Well, I'm devoted to getting up, eating breakfast, maybe, going to work or going to school, I'm de- you know, you can name a few things you're devoted to. But it says that they were devoted to four things. And these are four broad categories. It says, first of all, when it says devoted, it means they spent a whole lot of time doing this. They learned. And the reason it's important to understand what you're to be devoted to and why we need this so much in our culture today is because we have even more options. And we need more structure. I believe than even then. The more options you have, the more intentional you have to be about what you do because these things you're devoted to tells you two things, what you will do and what you won't do. And I'm not talking about good and bad. I'm talking about focus in life. And if we're to be devoted to God and to grow in our relationship with love with God, loving God and loving people, we have to have a structure in our life that allows that to happen so we won't just default to whatever happens to be the urgent, the urgent thing in life. So four things that they were devoted to, things that they thought was important. Number one, apostles' teaching, learning. It says that they sat at the apostles' feet. These were the people in the church that were mature. They spent time learning. You see, when you accept Christ... I don't care if you're 15 or 50 or 80. Guess what? You're a baby. You're a baby Christian. 
Sometimes we think because, you know, you, don't, you might look like an adult, it's all of a sudden you know. But the thing is, is there's a period, there's a process, and we never quit learning, but there's a process of learning some basic things in life and then growing through that. There's advanced learning as well. One of the things the early church understood that was important to them was to understand what it was that, that you know, God said. And they had Jesus and the apostles right there to talk to them about it. Now, we have God's Word that tells us what we need to do. And so we need to have, there was learning. That was important to them. A second thing that was important to them was fellowship. That, there's a Greek word, that Greek word fellowship means sharing. It means that they, it was, they understood that this, this process of being a believer was not an individual, individualistic affair. Remember one of the things that, that Os Guinness said that in our culture today, we're all about individualism. It's about what is about me. It's, we don't understand the whole thing of community, of responsibility to community. It's not just about us. It's about, it's about being a part of a community and being encouraging to that part of community. They understood it was not just an individual private affair, that you're not a spectator, that when you become a Christian, you form a new family. And that new family is something that you hang out with and you spend time with and you develop your relationships with in an intentional way, not like with everybody, but with parts of the family. And we all bring into our family, into this family, uh, a lot of baggage. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And we have to grow through that and become mature emotionally. We talked about that, what that means. And there's all kind of, uh, of, of responsibilities to being part of a family. And so they understood that and they developed those family responsibilities. They understood that fellowship was something that was more than just getting together to eat a meal. And so that was important. That was, they intentionally planned for fellowship. For teaching and for fellowship. A third thing it says they, they, that was important then was breaking of bread. Uh, so often we think it's just the Lord's Supper. That's a key element there. But in both churches, uh, they did it in church and in homes. The, uh, Lord's Supper, we're going to celebrate that next week, along with baptism and along with child dedication. All, all three of those celebratory things next week in our service. And, and, and as we do that... One of the things that we, and Chris is going to teach a little bit about, about we, we did an almost impossible thing. We decided next week we're not, we're not going to have a full sermon next week. You're going, yeah, no. Um, we're going to have three mini sermons, okay? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about child dedication when we do it, why it's important to do that scripturally. We're going to talk a little bit. I get to do that one. And then uh, i get a little bit of a break next week because Chris is going to do the other two about baptism and Lord's Supper. And he only gets five to seven minutes for each one. Okay, Chris. Okay, and uh, but the thing is, it's it's the the hard thing about it is it's more than just there's there's a whole lot of com- components to this. When we celebrate together the Lord's Supper, when we do it together, this breaking of bread together, it's about Thanksgiving. It's about uh, showing our dependence on each other. It's this family. It's a family meal. It's about realizing our it's it's about realizing our limits because we're coming before God and saying, uh, God, you know, I come together, uh, I humble myself before you. It's worship. It's all those things, and so those things were all important elements of this of this breaking of bread for this this early church. And then the last thing it talks about is prayer, personal prayer and corporate prayer. So often I think that's probably one of the most neglected parts of, of our lives today. So often in a, in a Christian church is prayer. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier about there's three quarter categories of prayer, talking to God, listening to God, and then simply being with God, that daily office of, of being with God. And it was out of this unceasing communion with God through these four things 
that they began, this early church began to discern God's will. And out of that grew this incredible love for God, this incredible love for people. And we saw, and we see the results when we read this passage in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, I just added that as a verse as well because it kind of shows that they have this daily thing. It says, uh, right after this, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. He had, a, once again, going back to that, they had regular, scheduled, structured parts of their life. It wasn't a haphazard thing. They had this trellis, this, this, this structure that supported their their Christian growth and their growth in life. It wasn't just about that, but it was more than that. See, this structure, these rules that we're talking about, this rule of life is not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's it's not that so we can get God to work as our junior partner in our firm. It's not about fire insurance for heaven. And, And it's not about making my life more efficient. I hate to tell you that. The purpose, the key to a rule of life, to a structure that helps us to stay connected with God, is that we need to be weaned from the world culture, from the flesh, the devil, and and, and so we need to live out our faith. I love the the quote, um, one of the early church fathers, Benedict, had a rule. And this is the rule that really comes right out of Scripture. It says this. It says, your way of acting should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. See, that's what Scripture says. Love God. What's the most important thing Jesus said? Love God. Love God. And love people. And if that's to be the case, we have to allow ourselves to understand that the one thing that we have to have above everything else is the love of Christ must come before all else. All else. In, in, in Psalm 27, 4, David says, This one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. David had, as we talked about this, when we talked about the whole thing of the daily office, we talked about how David has seven times a day that he spent with God, that he carved out as the king of a king of a huge kingdom. He carved out times during his day because he understood that if he was to make God the primary thing in his life, that he needed to have a structure in his life to remind himself about who was who was in charge. Uh, this this rule of life is kind of like resetting your entire life to God. It's about keeping God at the center of your life. It's a new way of being. Now every church has a rule. It has a trellis. It has a structure. We call it spiritual formation. And after Easter, we're going to talk about that in detail, about how we as a church, we've been in a process, we're a fairly new church, we're only 12, 13 years old now. But the issue is, is that what happens is, is we have ways that uh, that we're to, to work together, to grow. We try to encourage you in that. As a church, we try to set up some some things that... that Allow you to grow in the, in the Christian in the Christian life. Uh, some of the things we see as important is, and, and I would say I just named six things that I thought about that that are part of our rule of life or part of our structure to help you to grow is to to number one to submit to the oversight and shepherding of leadership, mature believers. Number two, to be involved in a small group or community in some way where you you connect with people. Number three, to discover and use your spiritual gifts. Number four, to serve as appropriate and when needed. 
Now, spiritual gifts can be used inside or outside the church, but also inside the church to serve when needed in various ways. Number five, to give financially, generously, and sacrificially support the ministries that we believe God is calling us to do here and in the world. And number six, to consistently take a next step in seeking and in what we're calling, calling today the rule of life, a structure in your life, the next thing that God has for you. Those are the six really simple things that we believe are a structure here, things that we constantly go back to that we talk about all the time. It's a structure to help us to grow as a church. But also, each member, each person, you, are to have a your own, develop your own rule of life. Because all of us are different. We're all of us at different stages of our growth. And we need to have some things that will help us to to. Uh, stay connected with God because I repeat what I said earlier. The rule of life is this. It's a conscience. It's conscious guidelines to help us keep God at the center of everything we do. That's what this rule is. It's our unique combination of spiritual practices that provide a structure and a direction for our growth in Christ. A rule of life is a pattern of daily action we choose to help us and intentionally pay attention and remember God in everything we do. And the focus, the goal is the continual remembrance of God. So your personal rule of life is a growing, it's, it's a process, it's a growing process. It's not something you start and never change. It's something you're continually, um, in a real sense, what you're doing, you're tweaking because as you grow in Christ, there's certain areas you need to work on. I just want to share with you this morning some broad categories that I, that I have in, in, in a sense in my rule of life, and my structure, things that I keep in mind that as I sit and journal that are important things to think about that involve this whole thing of staying, keeping God first in my life, four broad categories. And I, you may not categorize them this way, this is not what you may do, but this is just what I do. One is I use the area of prayer as, as a big area. This is my connection with God area, I call it. And one of the things that I do there is, is scripture. Scripture, every day I read God's word. And it's not just for studying, for doing a sermon. I try to, I try to read God's word at least 15 minutes a day where I just read a portion of God's word. And, and sometimes it's topical. Sometimes it's reading through a book of the Bible, whatever, just to stay in God's word, to stay through it. I try to read through the Bible every one to two years. Make sure I read through the whole thing. And even though I've been through it a time and time again, it's, it's God teaches me new things. Another area that's, that's become important to me over the last several years is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. I mean, this is something we talked about before. But, you know, I, you may be sitting in church alone or at lunch. It may be a part of your daily office or it may be going away somewhere and getting somewhere quiet. You know, I'm so excited about, about it getting warm outside. Because one of the things I will do when it gets warm outside is I will go outside. Sometimes I go down here no further than walking down here to the pond behind our property and sitting on a bench back there for 15, 20 minutes, just being quiet. No agenda. Just getting quiet. But silence and solitude helps me to reflect upon the things that are important in life. Uh, daily office is something that I began to practice recently. This whole thing of adding one or two times a day, uh, midday and an evening, times just stopping to be with God, reading, reading a verse of Scripture, uh, maybe having a, a quiet prayer to refocus at midday, and the evening prayer to thank Him for His faithfulness before I go to sleep, whatever. And then finally, study. Study is not just the same as reading Scripture. Reading Scripture is just you read it. Study is when you look at Scripture, you try to look at and ask a whole lot of questions about what is it saying to me personally, and how does it? How do I respond to that? So that's the first big area of of thinking about a structure in our life of having that. A second thing is rest. Rest. 
Now, this is foreign to many of us. We think in our culture that rest is something, it means you're lazy. I mean, you're not productive if you're resting, right? But I want to tell you that God gave us number one, the Sabbath. We talked about that, and I still struggle with that. I'm still working that out, how I work out the Sabbath in my life, since this is not my Sabbath right at this moment because I'm working. But how do you do that in your life? How do you commit yourself to 24 hours, one day one day a week, to doing nothing other than doing the things that bring refreshment in your relationship with God, with others, and just physically to do that? How do you do that? But God says that needs to be a part of your life. He commanded it. It's one of the top ten. Simplicity. You know, this is anti-cultural. Simplicity. You know, the good thing is, is this, is that we're getting so crazy in our culture, there's a lot of people beginning to ask a lot of questions. And as you get older, I hear a lot of older people like me say things like, you know, I just want to slow down. I want to downsize. I want to do something. I want to do less with my life because I understand that running around like a crazy person, doing it all is not working. And so removing distractions, remaining free from too many attachments in life, simplicity, play and recreation. You know, we all need to find activities that are pure, that recreate us and breathe life into us. Like I said, there's things for every one of us. It's different for me. It's going out when it gets warm, going out hiking. It's playing tennis. It's occasionally getting out on a golf course and just, you know, that's kind of frustrating most of the time. But the issue is, the issue is I love the beauty of the golf course, you know. Okay, God, it's not about how many strokes it's taking me to get there. It comes with every, every stroke, I, you know, I, I get my money's worth on the golf course. Uh, but uh, the issue is, is it's recreational to me. I mean, those things may be, none of you might, some of you may be gardening. I mean, that to me, like, it's like beat me with a stick. But, uh. But some of you, I know Lisa, Lisa Garber, I mean, she loves to garden. That's recreational for her. We were talking about that the other day. But we all have these things in life. We need to have those intentionally in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't do it all the time. Have a plan. Activity. Activity is things like service and mission. How can I use my time, my talents, my gifts to serve others? Whether it be here at church or in the community or actually in your neighborhood. Folks, we don't have to. One of the things we want to get past is this. We don't have to plan everything for you to do. A mature believer looks for opportunities to serve people without having to have a planned activity. I mean, you just think about people in your neighborhood. Can you do something small for them? Small act. We're going to talk about that coming uh, next series, about how to do that more. Care for our physical body, nutrition, exercise, sleep. Golly, that's part of a spiritual... Yes! We need to have all those things in our life so that God will allow us... To, we, can, we can be the best person we can be because we need to have the energy to serve God. It means... Let me explain something else to you. It means like, okay, if you're really going to practice the Sabbath, it's not about being doing something insane for 24 hours before that so on the Sabbath you just crash and burn. It's about preparing for it. So you give your best to God. When you focus on him. And finally, relationships. This is another big area I focus on. Emotional health. I mean, this whole series has been about emotional health and about how to develop that. Family. About, you know, spending time with our families. 
growing in your marriage, your parenting. And we're giving you opportunities. A couple out there is Family Life Conference and Married Life Live. Those are just events. But you need to be working on dating your spouse and, and doing all the things you need to do to grow in your relationship and community. You know, are you in a small group? Are you connected with other people? Those are all part of a plan, a trellis, a structure that will allow you to intentionally become the person that God wants you to be. Now, I say all that just to give you some ideas because the purpose of the structure is this, is to live in the presence of God. The purpose of the structure is to live in the presence of God, not just to make your life more convenient or easy. And it's not so that we can go and say, oh, look at how good I am, how self-righteous I am. It's kind of like I love the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18, 9. It says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everybody, Jesus told them this parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He prayed about himself. Now, think about that. God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. What was his attitude? What was his lattice? What was his trellis? What was his structure? He did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. That's not the purpose of this. Then he gave the other example. Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The purpose of the structure in our life is to spend time with God so that God we will come to the place of realizing how dependent we are upon him. Not how self-righteous we are or how independent we are. See, we get so busy in life, tied up in pride and fear and in activity, it becomes hard to admit how deep roots, how the deep the roots of our sin go. And for us to slow down and have a structure in life allows us to live in repentance before God. And in doing so, God begins to work in us in a way that we've never had Him work in us before. So this morning, this is what we're going to do as we close. I'm going to give you three minutes to be silent. It's going to seem like an eternity. But I want you to do one of two things. And, Ben, you can come on up and get ready and get on stage here in a minute. I want you to do one of two things. This next slide is this. Go to the next slide. What is your present plan? On the back of your bullet, there's a sheet that has some bulletin notes. On the back of it, it's blank. On the back of that, what I want you to do is write down this. What is your present plan, your rule, your trellis? What is the structure you have in your life? What are the things you do regularly to stay connected with God, to build your relationships, to, to provide rest in your life? All those different four categories that I gave you a while ago, okay? That can be number one. If, you, if that is not something, right, you can go ahead and write that down. And, and then out of that, I want you to say this, okay? After you look at that, I want you to say, and this is all in three minutes. I want you to say... As I look at that, what is my next step? What do I need to do that I'm not doing now? To develop these things in my life, these areas of my life. Okay, that's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you three minutes this morning to do that in just a moment. But the second thing I want you to do is this week I want you in your, this is homework. Over the last eight weeks I've given you each time at the end of the, end of the service on the back of the sheet, 
of, of your bulletin notes, I've given you a thing to examine yourself. Well, today I gave you the whole thing. I gave you a thing called uh, an inventory of spiritual and emotional or emotional spiritual health. And I want you to take that home. And it's part of the things you've already done. Maybe you've already done it, but I want you to do it anew. And be totally honest with yourself because nobody else is going to see this. Maybe if you're really bold, you'll, you'll share it with your spouse. Maybe not. I don't want any extra counseling this week, you know. But at the end of it, it gives you a, a way or a sample about how to graph it and how to grade it. And then it gives you an example of what it means to be a, 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 an adult and an adolescent or a child or infant in regard to emotional maturity. And you can just sit down, and I just want you to use that as a way this week of examining yourself, because if we don't examine ourselves, the unexamined life is not worth living. And we need to understand that's true. And so this morning, for the next three minutes, before the band plays our closing song, and before I pray to end, I just want you to spend three minutes talking about writing down on this sheet of paper. What is your present plan? What is your rule? What is your trellis? The thing, that structure that you have to help you to stay connected in all the areas I just talked about. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.